of seeing what's unseen. And I want to talk to you about that. Uh, I want to start by pointing out something about uh, how America works business-wise. I don't know if you guys know this, but uh, successful companies are are usually run by really smart people. And uh, they, most of them are smarter than us, and they're out to improve their bottom line, which is if, if you own stock in their company, you want them to do that. But the, the problem is they market the stuff, the, the products and services of their companies to us, and uh, sometimes the way they market them are smarter than uh, we can figure out. And one of the trends in marketing, it's actually been going on for a while now, but uh, one of the trends in marketing is not to market a product uh, or a service just for itself, but to market it as part of a lifestyle. How many of you guys know about that? It's called uh, lifestyle marketing. Go ahead. There's a few of you. The rest of you, uh, they're just sucking money out of you <laughs> right and left. I can tell if you're not clued into this. But, uh, like, you know, back in the day, you would buy Colgate because it fought cavities, and uh, it's a toothpaste, by the way. Uh, because it fought cavities and made your teeth whiter and your breath nicer, right? Well, now, uh, lifestyle uh, marketing promotes Colgate as the way to the good life, right? It's not just trying to, to find a little niche there. It's trying to market a, a whole lifestyle. And I want to give you a couple of uh, companies, and these are actually part of their mission statements or their aim. Uh, Red Bull. Now, you thought when you were buying a Red Bull, you're just like wiped out and you needed a boost. But here's what Red Bull is trying to do for you. To give wings to people and ideas. Okay? Now, when you bought the last Red Bull, did it, did it do that for you? Did it give wings to you and your ideas? Well, probably not, because Red Bull just is full of caffeine and just gets you all pumped up, and, and then you have the crash. Uh, Toyotas. Toyota had a campaign for a while. Let's go places, right? It wasn't just buy our cars. They're good products. Uh, you get a you know good deal for your money. It was you need to go places. You know, made you feel better. Uh, Starbucks. This is a crazy one. Starbucks. Uh, now you know you go into right. What are you going to Starbucks for? Yeah, caffeine. There we are. There's a theme in this teaching today. Uh, caffeine. But Starbucks, you go in there and they have all these products. You know, you can get one product in like 62 different ways. You go in there for some coffee on your way to work or on your way back from work or during the day. Here's what Starbucks is trying to do to inspire and nurture the human spirit. Now, when you bought your last Frappuccino there, was your spirit inspired and nurtured? And that encounter, thanks. All right, there's somebody. They're they're hitting their target audience right there. I can see Paula. Uh, Nike, Nike had a big thing. Push the limits, right? And that appealed to a certain group of people, younger people. Uh, in fact, that's a, a big part of marketing is trying to appeal to younger people and to push certain things that that they are interested in. Well. A lot of these companies produce really good products and services and in and of themselves. But what they're trying to do is they have picked up on, whether they, all, whether they always know it or not, they've picked up on the fact that there's this gnawing emptiness in people that has left them unfulfilled with the life that they have. And we're looking for things to, to bring us into that good life. How do we find the good life? And so companies are selling their products and their services as a way to that good life. Uh, The truth is, you know, hate to tell you this, Paula, but that Frappuccino is not going to bring you into the good life. (laughs) It's tasty and, uh, you know, it's warm on a cold day, but it's not going to fill that emptiness in deep inside you. But companies see that, and they see that as, an, as a marketing opportunity, because if they can associate their product with something that will fill some of that, 
or even just make you feel a little better, then sadly we are willing to be marketed that way. And what it does, though, accumulatively, is it, it keeps off, we, we keep getting offered the good life to fill this uh, hole in our soul, and it doesn't. But it, we just get a little taste, a little taste, a little taste, a little taste, and it just keeps us going. And, and, and there's the promise, maybe one day we'll find this good life, right? And marketers are very, very skillful at sort of uh, touching that need in our hearts that, that just gnaws at us all the time. So what I want to do today is I want to show you the story of a man named Moses and just a little snippet from his life. Uh, and Moses was a, a, a man who had some emptiness in his life. And he lived in this uh, a time not unlike ours. He lived in a place in, in uh, a nation called Egypt back there, which was actually an, an empire. And Egypt in this story represents every age and every nation and every place for all time in that we all uh, are born into and grow up in and face a bogus world system, no matter where we live, no matter what time we live in, a bogus world system which constantly offers us this frappuccino will lead you to the good life. Or this college education will lead you to the good life. And is a college education a good thing? Yes. Is a frappuccino a good thing? Yes. But will it lead you to the good life? No. Is it bad in itself? No. But it, this bogus world system we live in pushes cosmetics to us. It pushes lifestyles. It pushes things that, that are just shadows of the good life that God really has for us. And Moses lived in the... It, 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 the preeminent empire of his day. And to go back to this point, he, the Bible tells us, saw the unseen and it changed his life. And then when he saw the unseen, that led to him beginning to go on this journey where he was a person who helped other people see what was unseen. And how that changed many, 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 many lives. So, uh, in the book of, in, in the Old Testament, if you have a Bible with you, uh, open it up to Exodus chapter 3. That's the second book in the Bible. Start at Genesis, go to Exodus, third chapter. If you don't have a Bible, there are uh, paperback Bibles in the chair seats in front of you. And, uh, Go ahead and pick one of those up and track with me here. Let me tell you something about Moses before we get to that. Uh, so what I want to do is I want to tell you how Moses saw what's unseen and then how Moses found his purpose in life included helping other people see what's unseen. And then what that how, how that speaks to us today. Sorry. So, uh, look, let's look at Exodus 3, chapter 3, verse 1 to 12. We're going to read this. And, uh, oh, you know what? Before I read this, I'm sorry. A little uh, touchy. Moses was, if you, if you don't know his story, I'll just give you a, a one-paragraph version of it. Moses was born in a Jewish family who were slaves in Egypt, and he was born in a time when the Pharaoh uh, was afraid of the, 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 the Jewish problem in his country, and so he had all the people who were Jewish kill their sons who were under two years old, and they had to throw them in the Nile which is a you know, horrendous thought to even think that, that, that something like that actually happened. Well, his family, Moses' family, saw him and they thought, we can't do this to our child. And so his mother made a basket 
and uh, covered it with tar and put it in the river, uh, obeying a, a creative way of obeying the, uh, the Pharaoh's decree. And then he, she had her daughter, Miriam, follow the baby to see where it went and probably put the baby near where some family would pick it up and take it into their home, hoping that, 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 that someone would have compassion on this child in the river. Well, it turned out that, that uh, one of Pharaoh's nieces or daughters uh, picked the child up, and so Moses was raised, ironically, in Pharaoh's household. Well, when he grew up, he got to this point where he saw the Jewish people and saw their suffering, and he couldn't take it anymore. He couldn't accept his life of comfort and ease and privilege. And he decided to try to do something about this uh, mistreatment of the Jewish people. And so he, he saw one Egyptian killing or, or, or striking a Jewish uh, slave, and he killed this Egyptian and then buried him. And so the next day, the story goes, he, he saw a couple of uh, Jewish slaves arguing, and he said, don't argue. And they said, what, are you going to kill us like you killed you know, that, that guy? We saw you kill him. We know where you buried him. Well, he was afraid at that point, and so he ran away. So Moses had this intuition that, that there was injustice, and he should do something about it, but you know, he's one man, couldn't do anything. And actually what he did uh, probably made the situation worse. So he just took off, and he, and he uh, ran away from both his uh, upbringing in Pharaoh's household and his Jewish heritage. And so we're going to pick up the story here in Exodus chapter 3 now. That's, that's, that's uh, before this moment. And we're going to see Moses see what's unseen but what's real. Okay, He's going to have this encounter, this famous burning bush encounter. And then we want to pick up from there and, and uh, talk about what, that, what happened to him. So it says, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. So he got married when he was out in the desert. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him and flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it didn't burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see the strange sight, why the bush doesn't burn up. So he's really curious. You know, he's just, he's out in the middle of nowhere tending sheep, right? Yeah. Have you ever been driving across the northern plains and see those signs about, come see the world's biggest cactus? Or, you know, there's a, there's a, a man-eating aardvark in this uh, themed park, and, and you're out in the middle of nowhere, you just... There's nothing, and you just pull over to do that. Well, Moses was out, and I think this was, this was almost like wall drug, if you've been to wall drug. Okay, nobody. Just went right over everybody. Okay. Some of us have been there. So, when the Lord... Now, that was, that was a first, comparing the burning bush to wall drug. I don't, don't, don't do that next time you teach this message. Okay. Okay. Uh, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Don't come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. The home, and he named all, all, of all the, the, the Canaanite peoples that lived in what's now Israel. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Now, we'll stop at that point. So, 
in, in Hebrews, which is the text we sort of start with, uh, it says that Moses left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who's invisible. And this was a way of saying that he met God face to face. That God called Moses to himself and revealed himself to him. And it happened at this strange burning bush moment where Moses was tending the sheep. He saw a bush. He saw it was on fire, but it wasn't being consumed, which is unusual because whenever something is burning, the process of burning uh, consumes whatever's being burned. It's a chemical reaction. And so he sees the bush experiencing a chemical reaction, but it's not being consumed. He goes over to see it. And it's God manifesting himself in this very profound way. And it's actually a, a picture of Jesus in the Old Testament where there's something divine, something unusual, something powerful, and something normal somehow bound together, that Jesus was God and man and flesh and blood. And so he sees this, and God speaks to him out of the bush. And so a lot of times when we begin to see the unseen, it starts off with curiosity. Uh, You know, we're bored. We're hungry. We're empty. We begin to go, is there anything better than this or than that? Because, you know, our, our whole culture specializes in, in keeping us preoccupied, keeping us busy. But as busy as you can get and as, and as successful as our culture is at keeping us preoccupied with sometimes just meaningless things, that wears thin. It does. It, it does. At some point you just go, gosh, you know, I need something new. I need something different. Well, you know, Moses was a shepherd out in the middle of nowhere. He's looking for, for different. And, and this is as different as it gets. But that curiosity taps into this hunger in our hearts. Because Moses had a purpose in his life. He was, and, and it wasn't a bad thing for him to be a shepherd in that place in that time. And everybody that, that encounters God personally, almost everybody has some vocation, has some part of their life which is rooted in this world, which there's nothing wrong with that. But it's not, it's not satisfying, no matter what it is, the way it's meant to be. And so Moses sees this bush burning. He has this conversation with God, but there's a confrontation. His curiosity leads him to God, and then there's this immediate awareness that, oh my gosh, God is way different than what I thought. And I can't approach God just haphazardly. God's telling me, and and he's experiencing it. God isn't just laying a rule out. He had a taste of God's majesty and glory. And God, in a sense, shielded Moses from what he was really, really like in his truest essence and being. But he got the point across to Moses that, Moses, you can't approach me without something happening. And the, and the first thing he asked Moses to do was take his shoes off. And, and in, in those cultures, slaves were barefoot. And he was saying, I want you to be my servant, my emissary. But you're going to have to take your sandals off. And you're going to have to reorient your life around me and my will. But it's going to be the best thing to ever happen to you. And so Moses has this confrontation with God and his holiness. Because, you know, just remember this. I've said this many times. The word holy just means different. It means different. And God, in a way that our words can't express, is different than us. We're made in his image. We'll see that in a second. But he's different than us, and he's not sinful. He's not selfish. He's not corrupted. He's not dishonest. He's not unfaithful. He isn't manipulative. And he means for us to be like him. In fact, 
let's look at that. The, the reason why Moses and God could connect like this, and the, way, the reason why any human being could connect with God, because it, when you go into the story of the Bible and you find out our, our, our origins and our relation to God, you find out that we, human beings, you and me, are made in God's image. In his likeness, and if you read in the, the first chapter of Genesis, the writer of Genesis says that God made us, and he used, he used two Hebrew words, and they're repeated three times in that one verse, and they keep being repeated in threes all over the place, which is an interesting thing to think about. But it simply means this. We are made to be like God, and we're made to represent God. It's a pretty profound idea that you, like Moses, because when Moses heard this, I want you to go represent me, Moses. Moses says, who am I? Me? Like I'm a shepherd. And, and we, if you read the book of Genesis, uh, excuse me, Exodus, the, fair, the, the, the Egyptian people despised shepherds. And God picks a shepherd to go represent him to Pharaoh. Not only were the Jewish people despised, but shepherds were despised. He's a Jewish shepherd. You know, this is like combination guaranteed to be ignored. But he says, it doesn't matter what other people think about you. You're made in my image and likeness. You're made to be like me, and you're made to represent me. So if, if you don't take anything else away from what you hear today, the, the point I think God's trying to give you, and, and I'm hoping here in, as we talk about this and as we pray in a, in a couple of minutes, that you will be able to have your own burning bush moment where you will have a sense of, a greater sense, a deeper sense, a refreshed sense, a renewed sense. Some of you, maybe the first time you've ever really gotten this, that you were born to become like God and to represent God in the world. In your station in life, where God's placed you, He made you to reflect Him, to become like Him, and to represent Him like Moses did. Now, I don't mean represent Him with the staff and the ten miracles and all that, but there are aspects of that that we're called to. And so, this curiosity led to a confrontation with God, then it led to this call. And the call was, Moses, I want you to tell people, I want you to tell Pharaoh, I want people to know I love them. And, he, and, he, and Moses experienced this first. He said, Moses, I love you. I am pursuing you. Because God went out in the middle of the wilderness, Right? To, to come to the burning bush to set up this divine appointment with Moses. Moses, I love you. I'm pursuing you. And I want a relationship with you. And that's the message that we're supposed to tell the world. And we're supposed to embody it. Because we're made in the image of God. We're made for a relationship with God. But we're not in relationship with Him. And Moses wasn't. And so God had this call. And there's this moment of conversion where Moses said, Okay, I get it. I, I, I want to buy into this. And, and he took his shoes off. He said, this is a moment where I recognize I'm, I'm face to face with God. And with us, it isn't usually that dramatic. But when God calls you, there's always some curiosity and some frustration in your life that leads you to the burning bush moment. Now, this burning bush moment is supposed to happen over and over and over in our life, but it always happens the first time at some point in our lives. And usually it's when we're younger. And Moses, at this point, we know he was 80 years old. So he left Egypt when he was 40. He's still wandering around out in the desert tending sheep for 40 years. So he's 80 years old and he gets this call to go back to Egypt and to represent God. And he's supposed to, now that he's seen what's unseen, he is supposed to represent God and help Pharaoh and 
all of Egypt and all the Jewish people see him who's unseen. So our, 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 we exist as a church. It's really simple. We, we, I, I want to keep saying this so you guys get it. We exist as a church to make Jesus real to the world. That's it. That's why we exist. That's why I signed on 30-something years ago here. To make Jesus real to the world. And uh, we don't always do it perfectly, but we want to do it with all of our hearts consistently. With everyone around us. And just like Moses. Moses, you see, this is the story of everybody you run into as you read the Bible. Is God is, loves them. He's pursuing them. Because he wants a relationship with them. And he wants them to experience through a relationship with him that good life. That life where they matter and they're loved and they're provided for and they're protected and they have a sense of purpose and significance and where they, and someone, they know someone cares about them and, they, and understands them. And they know it as, like Brandon said dur- during this, one of the songs, you're here, Lord, even when we don't feel it. You don't let us down. And that's not anybody's experience because we've all been let down by the people that promised that us they wouldn't, and we've all let down the people we promised we wouldn't let down. Right? There isn't a, one of us in the room who hasn't experienced that and have, who hasn't, has, hasn't had it, been on the receiving end and the giving end of that. But God's not like that. And so Moses met that. And, and Jesus is the burning bush. All through the Old Testament, all these people met Jesus. That's why the writer of Hebrews talks about Moses. Uh, it says in, in his, that Moses regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. And we'll see that in a second. He met Jesus before Jesus was in flesh and blood. God reveals himself to us through his son. So that we would be changed into the image of his son. And that, so we would introduce other people to that possibility and that good life. Because the good life we're seeking for is found in Jesus. Now, if we're an image bearer and we're made to become like God in the deepest part of our character and our person. And we're, na- we're made to, to make him real to other people and help them experience that. Then... We have to follow a pattern, I think, that you can see over and over in the Bible, and it looks different in different people's lives. But Moses, when he bought into a relationship with God, he also understood he bought into being someone who makes that unseen God real to others. And so he was sent back to Egypt to do that. Now, he did it in one of the most dramatic ways of anybody in the Bible. In fact, that's what makes his story so compelling. But it wasn't a bed of roses. It was a very challenging thing. It was challenging in every aspect of it. So what I want you to do is, if, if, if you nurture some hope, because you're aware that you do bear the image of God, you're, as an image bearer, you're called to be like him and to represent him. If you, if you nurture some hope of that, maybe it's a, 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 something really big in your life, or maybe it's just something small, but... You go, I'd like to know more of that. I'd like to hold on to that because that sounds like something really substantial that could be like the center of my life for the rest of my life. That would be, that would be there when everything else is shaking or I'm losing things or uh, the world's not what I want it to be, that that could be there. Well, that's part of what we're called to is to make him real to others. To make the unseen real. The unseen God real to others. And so back in Hebrews 11, there's a little biographical snippet in that chapter about Moses. And I want to read this to you. And if, if you want the unseen real God, you want Jesus to be real through you. Moses took in this little passage... He took three radical steps, and he took them over and over. And if, if, if God's going to be real to you, through you, to the world, to others, if Jesus is going to be real to others through you, you're going to find yourself 
being challenged at different times to take these three steps that Moses took. So I'm going to read them to you. And what you're going to see is, it says in, in each verse, there's something Moses did. Okay? It's, a, it's very, very clear. And, and it says with each statement of what he did, the step he took, it, expl- it says why he did it. But ultimately, all of the things he did, he did it by faith. He did it by faith in him who is unseen. So first, let's start reading verse 24. It says, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So Moses, by faith, rejected and refused to find his identity in the bogus world system. The world system around you that, that, that you're completely immersed in is trying to say, you're just an engineer, or you're just a mom, or you're just whatever. You're slotted. And there's, there's movies that constantly come out. There's a, a movie out now about, the, 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 uh, it's in the theater, it's been at the years a while, about a, a society that's structured on telling people what they're supposed to do. And, but, it, and, but part of the, the, the drama in the movie is there's people there that don't fit into that. And there's this tension and the society and with them, with them, them and relationships. And this bogus world system wants to tell you who you are. And it's never as big as you really are. Or it's bigger than you really are. And it's just empty. What? God's made us to be as his image bears is profound to be, be like him at whatever station in life we find ourselves is a tremendous gift but we have to let him define who we are we have to let him say the things about us that are true that form the person we can be the world around us cannot do that it will distort us and twist us and ruin us And so Moses, it says, when he grew up, he refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. That was the title that the world wanted to put on him. That wasn't God's title for him. God has a title and a place and a purpose for you. And it's wrapped up in bearing his image and making him real to the world. But there's a... very definite and specific outworking of that in some vocation, in some place. A real-time, real-world place. But you stand in that place not identified by what the world wants you to be, but by what God says you are. And that's a challenge. I I don't know anybody that's ever become aware of the fact that whatever title you've been given by the world system is inadequate, that doesn't wrestle with how do you get to that place where I live out my real identity. Well, Moses, it, it starts by you saying, the world is not going to define who I am. This bogus world system is not going to define who I am. The second thing it says, he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. And the the second thing is, he chose suffering over pleasure and ease. Now, everyone knows that, you know, the the, the little sayings like there's no pain, no gain. And, And many of us have chosen rigorous disciplines to achieve certain goals in our life, and and we've embraced it because if you ever want to have a a postgraduate degree, for example, you're going to put an amazing amount of energy into achieving that. You know, if you've never pursued a a postgraduate degree, you have no idea how many hours you have to put into that. I've I've had plenty of friends who have uh, become doctors and and, uh, attorneys and professors and researchers, and they've had to get a PhD or, or a doctor of some kind or a Juris Doctorate or, uh, you know, a medical doctor degree. And it's insane the amount of intense commitment they have to make to achieve that. But that's not what I'm talking about, and that's not bad. But what he's saying here is there are times where being the image bearer of God, becoming like Jesus, 
and making Jesus real to the world is going to call for you to make a choice between doing it your way and doing it God's way. And God's way is always going to call for suffering. Suffering is a part of following Jesus. There's no escaping it. And if, if your Christian life is, is spent on trying to avoid suffering, you're not going to be becoming the person that God meant you to be, nor are you going to be representing him in the world to any meaningful degree. And see, our, you know, this is part of the bogus world system we live in. It's constantly telling us, avoid pain, avoid hardship, avoid difficulty, avoid suffering. And anybody who's ever achieved anything meaningful knows that didn't just fall into my lap. It costs something. And we said last week when we were talking about how generosity makes you rich. It makes you rich in influence. It makes you rich in character. It makes you rich in a sense of security. But generosity is not easy. It's a challenging way of life, right? But God promises, I will back you up if you commit to this life. But it will stretch you. And anybody who's ever tried to, to break, to see with the name of Jesus the power of a life-controlling addiction, you know there's no way that you'll ever experience that without experiencing a significant amount of pain. That, that growth and maturity and healing and progress, the meaningful kind, is painful. And Moses was in the, 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 the seat of prestige. Everybody else was inconvenienced for him. You understand, when you get to that place, people wait on you. Whatever you want, peel me some grapes. They, how many? Right? What kind? When you get to that place, that's what everybody's trying to get to. That's the ring that everyone's trying to grab. That's the office everyone's trying to get to. Moses had it. And he saw, that's not God's will for my life. Now, again, I don't want to pit those things Somebody has to have those kinds of jobs, and they're not bad in and of themselves. But when they become idols and they become substitutes of what God has for us, then that's when they become corrupting to us. And Moses saw I couldn't be, he wasn't called to be the boss. He was called to be the servant. And a man with his qualifications raised in the household of Pharaoh with all the education that, that a person in that situation would have received... He was an amazingly gifted person with, with a high ceiling. I mean, we know his story. He, read, he led millions of people out of slavery and formed a whole new nation and wrote a constitution for them under God's guidance. I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't like a, a third-grade dropout, right? This is a person of some weight and, and ability, but... He was willing to suffer to do what was right. And the world is never going to see the unseen unless they see suffering. Because this, that I point to every week, this is what revealed God to us perfectly. The cross, right? And if we're following Jesus, who took up his cross, and he said, if you want to be my follower, you have to take up your cross, it means we're promised suffering. And so, if you're going to reveal Jesus to the world, you're going to suffer. And the last thing is, it says in verse 26, he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. And so, he rejected the values of this bogus world. Now, not every value in this bogus world is contrary to God's will. This world system overlaps in, in, in peculiar ways with what God wants done. We're, we're not supposed to hide from the world and try to create our own little world away from the bad, bad world and the bad, bad people. We're supposed to be in the middle of it. Some people have misinterpreted holiness as separation from all the bad people. 
Nothing could be further from the truth. When God took people out of Egypt, he planted them in the crossroads of the world. He planted them in Manhattan, in a sense. Or in London. Or in Kuala Lumpur. Or Melbourne. Or or Paris. Or wherever it was happening. Wherever you could conceive of the world being at its most intense place. Imagine that's where God put Israel. Because he wanted them to be in the world. But not of it. He wanted them to, to represent him. And they would face all the challenges of being in that place. But what they did was they said, we are not going to play by the world's rules. And the Jewish people for for millennia now have carved out a unique identity based on God's revelation to them in the law. And they said, we're going to have different values. And and if the world's going to see that these little you know, hors d'oeuvres of the good life that, that they get are, are n- not in of themselves enough to satisfy you or get you there. They're going to have to see in us that we're not going to play the game that they're playing the way they're playing it. That our lives are grounded in something more substantial. In Jesus, the person of Jesus. And that we're image bearers of Him. That that's how we come to know God as our Father, through faith in His Son, Jesus. And that He changes us into these people that reflect Jesus. And honest to goodness, the cool thing about when you, when you talk to people about Christ is, if you get people to really read the Gospels, they really like Jesus. In fact, I've seen books that are titled, I like Jesus, but I don't like the church. Right? Because you can't, it's hard to look at Jesus and not admire him and not be drawn to him and not go, wow, is that what God's like? Maybe I need to rethink this thing about faith. But they see God through the unseen God was revealed in his son Jesus. And then his son Jesus gave us the commission that God gave Moses to go and show it to the world. So People will see Jesus through us when they see us grounded in something greater than this bogus world system. So, Moses was this image bearer. Moses came to the burning bush like you came to Jesus, and he met God. And he took off his sandals. And he had this moment where he said, I'm yours. Help me to find out what is possible now in life, in this new reality. I see what's unseen now. And, you know, if you know the story of Moses, he didn't always see what was unseen perfectly or as clear as he could, but he tried to be faithful to everything he saw. And he saw right off the bat, he was meant to do it in the context of a people. Which, if if you're going to buy into this, this Jesus thing, He's, he wants you to buy into doing it with other people. And the, the, the Christians get bad press. We deserve some of it, but not all of it. And if you're going to identify with Jesus, he's calling you to identify with his people, with, with churches, and, and all their drama, and people and all their drama. I mean, somebody asked me this morning, uh, they came in and they said, you know, uh, I have a friend who's starting to ask spiritual questions and they're trying to figure out, you know, faith and they've had some just horrendous experiences at church. And they just go, I don't want to have anything to do with church and, and the people because it was just bad. It was bad. And, 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 and they'd had several of those experiences. And I just said, well, you know, the shortest answer I could give you is A, when you have broken trust, it's, it cuts you off from love. And B, we get hurt in relationship, and we only get healed in relationship. We can't heal ourselves. We can't ever experience on our own what love is. We, we, need, we need to be around people. And so Moses said, I'm going to be willing to 
endure the difficulty of people because that's where I'm going to find God. Because the only time that Moses met God from then on was among people. If you read the story of Moses from then on, God started dwelling among his people. And that's where God gave them the idea of this traveling tent that was their sanctuary. And God's cloud and presence was there. God was among people. And it was complicated and messy. And Moses ended up, you know, you know experiencing some bad consequences, some bad choices he made because of the difficulties of people. But you and I will only be what God wants us to be if we're going to be connected to the burning bush, Jesus, the burning bush, and we're going to be connected to the people who become the burning bush. And the mission that we're supposed to be on is we're supposed to, uh, uh, sort of in a repetitious way, seeing him who's unseen and then trying to make him who's unseen real to the world and then seeing him who's unseen as a rhythm of life. Like every morning I get up and I, I prop my pillow up, I get my, my little Bible uh, app, and I read this portion that day, and I say, Jesus, touch me, meet me, be real to me, because I got so much to do today, I'm not going to get any of it done. I'm not going to please you without your grace. And I just pray until I connect with him. And then I want to go out and make him real. And people taught me that. As a young Christian, they taught me, that's what you do, John. Every day you connect with God, then you go out and you try to live for him and help other people connect with him. Now, I think here we can close this way. Uh, Real simple. I think that there are a number of you here today that, you know, in one sense, either the first time you're aware, or, or it's being reminded, you're being reminded of this, that you're an image bearer, and as an image bearer, he, he wants you to be like him, and he wants you to represent him. And you're having your burning bush moment. There's something awakening in your heart, and you're going, wow, I am meant to see him who's unseen as a way of life. He loves me, he's pursuing me, and he wants to have a relationship with me, and that will lead to this good life that I can't know through however many products I purchase or services I experience or whatever, or marriages I go through or cars I go through or, you know, sex I have or whatever, that I can know it through Jesus and, and Moses, like Moses, he was a pretty gnarly guy at that moment. He'd run out on everybody. He'd run away from everything. He was just hiding. But God was pursuing. Moses was hiding. God's pursuing. And I think some of you here, God's pursuing you. And you, you're going, that's what's happening. He loves me. He's pursuing me. And he wants a relationship with me. And you get that. And, you want, and today, we're gonna, I'm going to ask you to respond to that in just a second. There's others of you, you've already got that down. You go, yeah, I got that. I realize now, like Moses did, he says, send me. God is saying to me, I want you to go for me. And some of you are going, like Moses, who am I? Who am I to do that? What can I do? You are his image bearer. And he told Moses, he said, I'm going to be with you. I want to find you and read it to you. He said, I will be with you. He wants to be with you. And as he's with you, he's going to make you more like him and he's going to use you to show people what they can't see. What's real, but they can't see They're going to be wandering along and you're going to be able to say to them, look at that bush that's burning. And you're going to be able to take them over to it and they're going to experience this moment like you have. 
And they're going to experience that God loves them and he's pursuing them and he wants a relationship with them. And it's going to change everything. And it's going to lead to other people's lives being changed. That's, that's what God's after, okay? And so some of you have opted out of that second part. And you're here today. And the Lord's saying to you again, I'm with you and I want you to be someone through whom people who can't see me begin to see me. And he wants to do it through you in the very station in life in which he has placed you. And again, when you hear that, the doubt goes through your mind like, me? How could that happen? Look, you don't know where I am. Again, you can go back to the story and see that Moses didn't feel in any way adequate to go back to Pharaoh's court and challenge Pharaoh, but God went with him. And Moses was surprised, and Moses struggled through that. And you will struggle through it, but the, the, you have to re-engage. And I think today is just a day I want to invite you to re-engage in, in a real simple way. So, two responses, or, or two groups of people here, we're going to pray. There's some of you here, this is your burning bush moment. You, in this story, what we're talking about, you realize God's been pursuing you. Whether you think, whatever you think about him, whatever you know about him, it doesn't matter. He is pursuing you because he loves you and he wants a relationship with you. And today, I'm going to invite you to stand with other people and, and say, Jesus, I want a relationship with you. God, I want to know you through Jesus. And you may not have that, you don't have to have that figured out. You just say yes to Jesus because he's knocking on the, in a sense, metaphorically, the door of your heart. Secondly, there's some of you here, it's time to re-engage in representing him in the world. And what I want to ask you to do, I'm going to, I'm going to pause for a second. I just want everybody just to close your eyes. We're just going to, I want you to think about, if, is 